Welcome to Curious City, where we answer your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. I'm reporter Chris Bentley, and this week we serve up two stories about iconic, quintessentially Chicago structures. And we're not talking downtown skyscrapers. Nope. We're talking about the humble, two-flat apartment building. Glance out of a car window or hop onto Google Maps, and you'll see the two-flat everywhere in the city and in many suburbs. It's easy to ignore the two-flat or take it for granted. But up ahead, we learn how it's directly tied to the fate of our local middle class. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Old Town School of Folk Music with new class sessions in guitar, banjo, singing, and more. Classes available for beginners, advanced, adults, and kids. More at oldtownschool.org. And support comes from the University of Chicago Graham School of Continuing Liberal and Professional Studies Editing Certificate Program. There's an online information session August 13th. Details are available at gramschool.uchicago.edu. Who is the t- what is going to be when where, where do I why is it how many what is the what <laughs> Hello and welcome to Curious City. I'm reporter Chris Bentley. The person who asked our question chose to remain anonymous, which is okay by us. But we like to collaborate on reporting, so we got a partner, the Chicago Architecture Foundation. Here's the foundation's Jen Masongar reading our question. Chicago area two flats straddle the line between apartments and homes. Who were they originally designed to serve? Has that changed? You know the two-flat, even if you don't live in one. Two stories with an apartment unit on each floor, usually made of brick or gray stone, sometimes with a bay window in front. And they're old. Most were built between 1900 and 1920. According to data from DePaul University's Institute of Housing Studies, there are more than 76,000 two-unit apartment buildings in Chicago today. In some neighborhoods, the two-flat constitutes more than two-thirds of the building stock. The Architecture Foundation's Jen Masongarb and I found a perfect place to answer this question about two flats, Chicago's K-Town. And it's sort of a microcosm of Chicago architecture. This is Matt Cole with Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago. He's our guide through K-Town, a portion of the west side with K-named avenues like Karlov, Kedvale, and Keeler. So, who were those two flats designed for? Cole suggests we go back to the late 1800s. The reality is that the the two-flat and the three-flat are the the workhorse building of this period of Chicago. Cole tells us that at that time, European immigrants made up almost half of Chicago's population. Hundreds of thousands of Polish, German, and Czech people were in the city, and many lived in narrow, one-story workers' cottages, usually made out of wood. As Chicago's big industries grew, think Sears, McCormick Reaper, Western Electric, the population grew too. So developers and architects built up as they built out. Two- and three-flat buildings offered higher-density housing and gave the owners a shot at extra income from renting out that extra unit. So, one part of the answer to the question, the Chicago two-flat was originally designed for the working class of Chicago. And in that period, that meant lots of European immigrants. The Czech population was essentially moving farther uh, farther west out of Pilsen and other sort of areas of Maxwell Street area to sort of newer land, I guess you could say, uh, you know, new development, more open space. And in fact, they called this area sort of California. It was like their Western paradise. A Western paradise along the aptly named California Avenue. Jen Masongarb says the families at that time were looking for a better life, and the two-flat was a tool to get them there. This kind of two-flat is that bridge, I think, between that older housing, that 1880s, 1870s housing, and then the bungalow, which was the, the, the even bigger dream, right, of a bigger yard and my own, my own space and nobody living upstairs clumping around. 
She tells the story of Frank Stuhal. Census data shows in 1888 he immigrated to Chicago from Bohemia, now the Czech Republic, as a 13-year-old with his parents and two sisters. The census is taken every 10 years, and every 10 years, Stuhal moved further west along Cermak Avenue, going from a renter to a two-flat owner in 1920. He and his wife eventually moved into a single-family suburban bungalow, but that bridge kind of housing Mazengarb's talking about, it was in K-Town, near 21st Place and Keeler Avenue. It's still here, but it's home to a different group of people. I didn't buy it. Actually, I inherited it from my parents. This is Arquilla Lawrence, who now lives in Stuhal's former building. And uh, I love it. You know, it's been my home all my life, ever since I was two. We moved into the neighborhood. And so I've been here, except when I went away to college. Like many African Americans, Lawrence's father moved to the neighborhood during the Great Migration. That's when lots of African American families moved to northern cities from the southern and western parts of the country, Oklahoma in Lawrence's father's case. So, the Chicago two-flat was designed for one wave of working-class and middle-class people, mostly European immigrants at first. Later, two-flats served African Americans from the South, and more recently, Latinos. But there's been another change when it comes to Chicago two-flats. Remember, they were designed for a family to live in one unit and then have an extra unit to rent out. Cole says that didn't always work. But what happened a lot in Lawndale and other parts of the South Side is that Due to issues of bad lending practices, contract buying, and other stuff like that, people were sometimes really forced to divide up these units in order to sort of pay for these homes and maintain them. So what you did see is that two flats converted to threes, or you saw the basement now being finished as in another unit to add that additional income. And sometimes the ownership moved in the other direction. Jen Masongarb and I meet Eric Strickland. He bought a K-Town two flat in the 1990s. I know that at one point it was uh, three units. And when I went in and looked, I kind of realized that it was perfect for a single family because it had two full bathrooms on the second floor. And how many people live here now? Three. You, wife, my wife child? My daughter. So, as Jen Masongarb and I leave K-Town, let's recap. The Chicago two-flat served up-and-coming members of the middle class in the late 1800s. It was marketed to a broad swath of people, including a large number of European immigrants. Later, African-Americans and lately Latinos invested in the homes. But what is going to happen to these buildings? Two flats in Chicago's K-Town area are well-kept. It's a historic district, so some owners are eligible for tax incentives. But a lot of these old two flats are expensive to maintain. And since the 2008 financial and foreclosure crises, many sit vacant and could be demolished. Could they be replaced with modern-day two flats? Jeff Smith from the DePaul Institute of Housing Studies isn't so sure. What you see more commonly is a single-family home that's targeted for owner-occupancy, or you see a larger rental building because those larger rental buildings just make more financial sense as a new development. And you don't see new developments of these small rentals so much. The takeaway? Well, the Chicago Architecture Foundation's Jen Mason Garb calls the two-flat a bridge to a better life for the families that built Chicago as we know it. 100 years later, it's not clear that it can play that role again. But you know what? It was worth taking a look at the two-flat. And Mason Garb says we should do that with the rest of our architecture. You can just see it sort of evolving in terms of the way that we live and the decisions that we're making about what our families need yep. and what is uh, stylistically impressive. This architecture is us, right? It's, it's a reflection of us. Hey, 
Hey there, I'm Jennifer Brandel, senior producer for Curious City. So we just got to the bottom of the origin of Chicago's two flat buildings. Now let's go outside to the back of them, where there's those distinctive zigzagging wooden staircases. We got a question about those from Lee Kuhn. Something about the structures and their purpose seemed, well, a little funny to Lee. Yeah, and it seems at first glance kind of illogical. Like, if this is a fire escape, it's made out of wood, what's going on here? And it's just, they're everywhere, you know? Lee is from New York City, and so he's used to seeing similar structures attached to buildings, but they tend to be non-flammable, you know, made out of metal. I'm wondering what is the origin of Chicago's distinctive wooden fire escapes and if they're actually effective during fires? So whenever Curious City needs a no-nonsense answer relating to fire, we call Larry Langford from the Chicago Fire Department. They are not considered fire escapes in the strict sense of the word because they are flammable. Uh, Structures that are designated as fire escapes in Chicago must be non-flammable. Okay, so technically these wooden porches slash staircases aren't called fire escapes, but in reality they're meant for and used for fire safety. Just stay with me. To understand the origin of these combustible barnacles clinging to so much of Chicago's architecture, we find building codes from way back when Chicago's classic two-flat and three-flat apartment buildings were first built. Bob Falstrom helps us out. He's the building codes guy for the city of Chicago. We've got some old code books that are on file in our library. In fact, the oldest one that we've got I'm holding right now, and it's from 1906. Okay, here is the important part. Every apartment shall have access to a fire escape or to two separate stairs, one located at the front of the building and one located at the rear of the building. Did you catch that? A fire escape or two separate stairs. The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 made very clear the need for better building codes. And Falstrom says in the early 1900s when this code was on the books, officials recognized the need for a critical fire safety measure, multiple exits. It's obvious, it's common sense that in a fire situation, if you've only got one exit and a fire gets between you and that exit, you're in in real danger. So these back staircases slash porches existed in part to make two and three flats safer. But still, why use the very flammable material wood? And we should point out that wooden stairs can become the very source of fire, from a discarded cigarette to a wayward coal from a barbecue to an arsonist gas can? Well, the answer is we use wood today for the same reason we did 100 years ago. It's a simple matter of economics. Wood is cheaper than other options like steel and concrete. But I thought it'd be worth it to hear the perspective from someone who builds these porches day in and day out. Adam Lezniakowski runs the aptly named company Porch Builders. I talked with him for a while and then lay out our original question about porches from Lee Kuhn. Did it ever strike you as kind of funny that we would be using wood as a material for a fire escape when wood is flammable? Mm. Yeah, it is a make sense question, you know, but uh, our houses by built by the wood mostly. And you cooking in the kitchen, you, you know... Uh, got a candles everything is by the wood so makes sense yeah and lezhniakowski is right over the past hundred years our buildings have gotten better when it comes to fire safety 
but it's unrealistic to ever expect them to be fireproof. That is, when it comes to escaping a fire, these wooden stairs are deemed safe enough. The stories in this episode were reported by Chris Bentley, Jen Mason-Garb, and me, Jennifer Brandel. Additional reporting for our Wooden Porches story comes from students at the University of Chicago. You can catch all of our answers to your questions at wbez.org slash Curious City. And while you're there, subscribe to our podcast. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. City on WBEZ is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, understanding and preventing suicide through research, education, and advocacy. Chicago area residents can join the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for the Out of Darkness Chicagoland Community Walk. Registration, information, and support at www.chicagowalk.org. Hey, it's Chris Bentley again, and I couldn't let this episode end without including this little bit of tape from a sweet moment we ran into on the streets of K-Town. Here's Corey and Rita Brooks, who both grew up in the neighborhood and who both moved back into K-Town to take care of their mothers. That's when they ran into each other. Sweetheart. He was my first boyfriend. And then he got married, married somebody else. I got married, I lost my husband, and then two years ago we found each other and got married. 